Welcome to the Atalan Rising podcast. We're your hosts, Adam and Lynn. And in today's episode, we're going to be discussing We Only Find Them When They're Dead, issue one, Fantastic Four, issue 23, and Empire, issue six, the finale, the one we've been looking forward to all this time. Yes. So I, I'm, it's a really, really good three issues this uh, episode, I think. We were, we were spoiled. Absolutely spoiled. This was a good week. Not a lot, but a good week. Yeah, it's not a lot, but the wrap up of Empire was, uh, in my opinion, one of the the best endings for a an event story from Marvel for a little while. I think I, I agree with you on that one. Do we have any news or anything this week? I progressed my Black Bolt to tier three in Future Fight, so good job, me. <laughs> that took forever. God, that was tedious. And how does he play? Is he good? Good character to play? Yeah, he is pretty good. He's impressive now. Can he crack a planet? Is that his uh, special power or something? I, I wish it actually looked like that, but no, but it, it's a huge improvement from the trash that he was before. I still need to pick it up. I need to be reminded to download this game. I remember having it years ago, but I just didn't, I couldn't get into it. It's uh, too much of a mobile game. But in other game news, the Avengers game is out and I'm going to have to get it now. Yep. Inhumans are represented. Kamala's the main character. We have Inferno is going to be in it. Yeah, I think some uh, data mining has suggested that uh, Quake will be in it at some point in the future. Yep. And today I saw a little clip of the Hulk gameplay, and you can pick up bad guys and hit other bad guys with them. (laughs) So I think that's (laughs) worth the price in itself. Yes, because it is a little bit of a costly game, I think. I mean, I, I haven't played it yet. I didn't I didn't play the beta or anything like that. But in the UK, if you buy it on like Steam, it's uh, it's 50 pounds at the moment. And uh, if you want, if you want, yeah, if you want the deluxe edition, which is uh, includes some obsidian uh, costumes for in the game, it's an extra 15 pounds on top or something like that. So it ends up being about 65 pounds for for the game and some cool suits. But if anybody if anybody's got you know good reviews and, and that kind of stuff and is, is enjoying playing it, please do let us know and we'll uh, we can talk about it. Yeah, geez, the uh, deluxe edition here is eighty dollars. Wow, I mean that's yeah. that's it is pricey for a game, but I think with the name like the Avengers on it and Marvel being as big as it is now, I, I think it's going to be still be a massive hit. And games are getting expensive now. I mean, how much did Pokemon cost? It was like forty five pounds for me. And, uh, and and Nintendo Switch games, which is the only games I've really been buying recently, are still quite expensive. So, shall we move on to some comic books? Let's talk about some comic books. How about we start with "We Only Find Them When They're Dead" number one from Boom Studios, which is the longest title I think I've ever read for a comic book. <laughs> it's a good one, though. It it is. I it do is. like it, it. It definitely makes sense when you actually, when you read the book. But I'll let you go ahead with the the review. Okay, so this is book one, The Seeker, issue one, Eight Bells, All's Well. It's the first part of a story told in three acts. Written by Al Ewing, the real king of space. Illustrated by Simone DeMeo. Color assist by Maria Sara Miati. Lettered by Anne World Design. Cover by Simone DeMeo. Variants by Maria Vergara, Jenny Friesen. Tony Infante, Christian Ward, and Simone DeMeo. Should we should we name him uh, Eisner Award winning Christian Ward? Funny story about his um, cover though. Sorry, just a really quick one. Is that uh, I, that's one of the the few 
variant covers that I've ordered in such a long time. It looks so beautiful. This is gorgeous. Yeah. It is absolutely gorgeous. The logo designer is Scott Newman, designer Grace Park, assistant editor Gwen Waller, and editor Eric Harburn. So what's this comic about? In a future dystopia where humans have strip-mined the galaxy, humans scavenge the corpses of giant space gods for resources. These expeditions are closely monitored and regulated by the corporations that purchase the materials, and any deviation from the process is punishable by death. But Captain Malik and the crew of the V-Hand 2 plan to escape and find a living god. This is an Al Ewing story, therefore I was knew I was probably going to like it. Come on. <laughs> Everything he writes is amazing. That's absolutely the same for me. Um, he's he's the, literally the only reason why I bought this book. Al Ewing on anything these days just gets an instant buy from me. It's going to be interesting to see what he does outside the confines of the Marvel Universe. Yes. Because this is all him now. Brand new universe. Everything from scratch. And And similarly... With the artist as well. I mean, the artist is totally from scratch. There's no, there's nothing that holds them to anything that's come before. It's just like it's a totally original story. And and you know, I I really love that from like Boom Studios, from Mirror Image. They're able to put out these kind of books that just don't tie themselves to any continuity. Uh, in some ways, it's just it's just a really refreshing read. And it is an excellent first issue. It does a good job introducing this new world. And we've got our evil corporations. We've got a black market for God parts. We know that humans have plundered the universe just like they plundered Earth. And now we're stuck being remoras on the backs of these gods. It's nice to know that capitalism is safe and sound, you know, a few hundred <laughs> years in the future. And we, we've introduced the, the new characters. We have Jorge Malik, the captain. Seems to be well-liked by his crew. He has a bit of a mysterious past. We've got Ella Hauer, the coroner, which is very gross. It's her job to carve up the gods. Could I just say, literally, like the slabs of meat that uh, they get, like in the image, like the, the imagery that they use is amazing, but also completely gross. <laughs> it it is so gross, and you know you oh, you gotta wonder. Oh, you gotta wonder the inspiration, don't you? That's the that's the thing. And also, uh, uh, Simone Di Meo um, actually put like a an like a, an animation of this comic book, and literally the scenes where they were chopping it up and putting it into like the, you know, the space Tupperware, and it's it's brilliant. Oh God, I need to find that. That's yes, amazing. Yeah, it, it's on his uh, it's on his Twitter feed. Oh my God! And then we we've, we've got Jason Hauer. so I'm I'm guessing these are a brother and sister pair. He's the mm -hmm. engineer. We haven't seen a lot of him so far. I'm interested to see how Al does with an engineer character because I'm very picky about how engineers are portrayed in science fiction. I'm an engineer, so is so is Adam. Yeah, so it'll be really, like you said, it'll be really interesting to see how he does it, and also, you know, if there's any like particular mannerisms that you do tend to get with engineers. <laughs> you say there that you're picky. I think as an engineer, there's somewhat natural being naturally picky is a, a big part of uh, our, you know, our mindset. Oh, yeah. And, you know, a little off topic, but one of my favorite engineers in recent memory is Jet Reno from Star Trek Discovery. 
The introduction <laughs> of that character is perfect, and she is the most perfect sci-fi representation of an engineer I've ever seen. She jumped immediate after her first appearance. She jumped straight to my favorite Star Trek character. Brilliant. I'll have to, I'll have to catch up on that. I, I haven't seen uh, much of Star Trek anything, really. Then we've got Alice Worth, the quartermaster. And this, this book is making me learn things. I had to uh, look up what the quartermaster's job is. It seems that we're going with the army definition. This is the person who's in charge of supplies. And you can see that as she's packing away all the slabs of god meat. <laughs> mm. Yeah, into the space Tupperware. <laughs> I'm going to include the ship. That's the Vihan 2. It's a Hindu name that means morning or dawn. And this is the Vihan 2. Jorge Malik's parent ship was the Vihan. Yeah, it's an interesting choice of name on that one. I'm kind of intrigued on to kind of why it's called that. Purely because it's just such a it's such a specific kind of you know name. It's like morning light or dawn light, isn't it? So it's kind of yeah interesting to I know how that will fit in. I'm guessing there's some meaning behind it. It almost put me in the mind of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Yeah, this could be a potential reference there. Yeah, and speaking of making me learn things, eight bells and all's well. We've got a little catchphrase, and. That's how you tell time on a ship, by the ringing of bells. It signifies the end of a four-hour watch. That happens at four o'clock, eight o'clock, and twelve o'clock. And it's also a euphemism for being dead or finished. So we have layers there. Yeah, I, nice. I, I mean, before you mentioned this, um, I, I didn't have a clue that that was what they meant. And uh, it's really good. One, it's really good to have that context. And, and two, it's really great to see that Al Ewing... Um, when he's writing his own stuff, does just as much research and does all the homework that he needs to do uh, to get all the kind of facts right and that kind of stuff. And, and again, he's just not disappointed with doing that. Absolutely not. This issue also sets up some conflicts going forward. We've got the ship has ears. Is a bug by the company? Yeah, it's, it's got to be some kind of bugging, right? Yeah. I mean... It's it's like saying, oh, the walls have ears, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. you know that there's going to be some sort of interference there. And again, it's like there's lots of stuff being set up here that may be completely subtle and, you know, likely to be missed at the moment. But, you know, this is one, again, keep, your, keep pulling on that thread. We'll see where it goes. Then we've got our company enforcer, Paula Richter, who is not a nice person. Yeah. Well, we know that she's killed Malik's parents. And that she is absolutely intolerant of anyone breaking the rules and trying to escape without the company getting their cut. So so here's the thing, right? So we know that uh, she killed Jorge's parents. Why on earth is he so chill with her? Like, it's, if somebody killed my mystery. parents... It's a mystery. Well, definitely. There, there's, history I mean... that, there's a lot of history there. You can already tell. Exactly, yeah, because I mean, like I was going to say, if, if somebody had killed my parents, I'd probably hold just a little bit of resentment towards them. And somehow he just seems to be super over it. I, and, uh, and the crew's like, can't you just talk to her? Yeah, <laughs> probably not. I mean, there may be a little bit of resentment there then. As if he has an in with her, you know? <laughs> hey, you're the, you're the lady that killed my parents. Hey, let's have a little chat. A little chat. Yeah, come on. And I, I do appreciate 
her uh, catching them, even though they're trying so hard not to attract attention, which is the exact thing that draws her attention to them. It, it just put me in the mindset of when I was doing a work assignment in Canada and having to go across the border every two weeks, no matter what, no matter what you did, you were suspicious. <laughs> Because yeah, they knew that I was making multiple trips across the border. So if I was too confident, pull over. I stammered, ah, pull over. All my paperwork's in order. That's suspicious. Pull over. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's it's yeah, it's um, it was quite funny because obviously in this book it's represented by the fact that they didn't go for the eyes and the like, the fluid yep. around the eyes. Uh, instead, they went for like uh, for two tons lack of, of meat. A- yeah, for lack of a better phrase, I went for cheek meat. Uh, <laughs> which, yeah. When the eye was right there. <laughs> yeah, literally, you know, just a little bit below the eye. That's that's where they went. Brilliant. Great. <laughs> Not suspicious at all. No. And it, it was, you know, the bit with rushing for claims, like it's the Oklahoma land rush, was pretty cool. <laughs> you get there and it's yours, unless the other guy calls the lawyers. Or they take them out. <laughs> yep. I mean, that was brutal, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, it, it was. It was certainly an interesting first issue in terms of what it's setting up and kind of where it's leading. Uh, the, the characters, obviously, only one of them or a couple of them potentially have been particularly picked upon. I just, I, I, I'm really looking forward to issue two of this. And, and interestingly enough, I'm actually quite intrigued by the the format of how it's written. So it's going to be in kind of three parts instead of being sort of a traditional comic book, five parts or six parts. Um, and also broke down to books as well, which again is, mm-hmm. is, is going to be really fun. Um, I, I like how different this is and I like the kind of the feel of it. It feels almost like a classic sort of pirate story, but just set in space. And this issue did also set up some mysteries to be solved. So why alive God? What's the plan? They're awful big. They, they are. They're huge. It, are, are we looking for help? Are we looking to steal from them? Because they obviously have resources. And how, how are you going to explain explain yourself when you meet the live god? Hey, <laughs> yeah. sorry, sorry about Walter over there, but he went really good with some garlic butter. <laughs> he was really tasty. You see, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm and, sorry we go and, around and hack them up for meat. Uh, you know. <laughs> and what's killing the gods? The gods might be in trouble. Yeah. I mean, they they are huge. Like you mentioned, they're literally like like the, the ship in this is tiny compared to a god. Like we said, yeah. they were going for like cheek meat, and you think, uh, hang on a minute, uh, <laughs> how big is this thing? It's like it's it's like a you know bigger than a planet sort of thing. I, I, I know that you had a little bit of a <laughs> you had a bit of an issue with the lettering well, not, a, not an issue I appreciate what they're doing is this one of the rare times that you know the lettering actually stands out enough to warrant its own discussion because we've got our nice big modern bold logo but then when the narrator shows up they're in Times New Roman so it yep. kind of puts you in the the feel of you're reading someone's memoirs or you're reading a book and this is what you're seeing. But even though it's in Times New Roman, just to drive it home a little more, 
they put in old type digits. <laughs> and if you don't know what that means, it's when the numbers are at different heights. They do it a lot on like addresses and houses. And as an engineer, ah, I hate them so much. And I'm traumatized from a coworker who put these old type digits into an Excel document and then locked editing. It, it caused me physical pain. And the, the rage, the flames on the side of my face, it, they are the most unscientific numbers you've ever seen. It's like a picture of numbers, not actually numbers. So, you know, it's an interesting choice for a story told in space. It is. And I think you just said it there, like the, the fact that the old style Times New Roman hurt you physically. Um, because, yeah, it's just the fact that they are all different sizes. And it's just like they it's almost like old style cursive lettering. And it's like, ugh, yeah. yeah, it would be now if you were like a Jane Austen watching a Jane Austen movie and you've got you've got handwritten lettering going across the page you know, across exactly, the screen. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, no, no, we don't, we don't do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it it was, it was definitely an interesting choice of font. And again, it's one of those like intriguing things because it's, it, it feels like very old timey kind of narration with a very new style sci-fi story. And and that's, that's just, yeah, it's, it's a very, very nice mix. It, it was very, it was nice. It was interesting, but God, those old type digits. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe change Man. that up for next issue, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it did get the point across that this is old fashioned lettering. Yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, the, the art is just gorgeous, though. Oh, God, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anything by Simone DeMeo. It kind of has a black science feel to it. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like, um, you know, it, it, the way that Simone uh, DeMeo draws and kind of does his artwork, everything's got a very like ethereal look to it, especially the gods themselves, because they're almost like almost like translucent um, and they're just so damn pretty. It's just so colorful and the use of color and, and all that kind of stuff is just so good. And, and such great use of color for showing where you are. Yeah. So the past is muted when you're on Malik's ship. It's blue and yellow. Outside's purple. The other ship that gets blown up, they're yellow. And that jerk escort, she's red. <laughs> See, the thing about this is, and and as as an engineer at university, I did a bit of um, kind of like the more subtle subtle bits of like product design and stuff. Um, so like use of color and that kind of thing. And what I always used to love whilst designing stuff is using like uh, the color wheel. And if you've ever seen the color wheel, you've got like purple on one side, green on the other, blue on one side, yellow on the other. And to make things stand out, you use the opposite color on the color wheel. Um, and if you want something to kind of blend in with each other, you use clump complementary colors, which are the ones by the side of it. And this does a really good job of using both uh, contrasting and complementary colors, particularly on like the outside of the ship, it's like blue and purple, whereas the inside of the ship on the bridge is blue and yellow, like you said. And yeah, I I, I don't know why that's such a big thing for me, but it's just a really nice visual cue. And I also like it because I'm an automotive engineer, 
And a lot of thought does go into what colors are on your dashboard. And I know with my company, we also give you a feature where you can change the ambient lighting to suit your specific taste. So it makes a lot of sense to me that everybody's got their own little color scheme out there. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's genuinely really good. And I, I love the thought into it, but it also goes down like to your, you know, almost like your engine bay as well. Cause in an engine bay, you'll have like, um, you know, yellow is, is the stuff that you touch and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I, 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 I love that. And I love when it's pointed out in like, you know, comic books, cause it's kind of like, what I do and my hobby that I really enjoy. And it's nice to see them cross over a little bit. Talk about character design. We didn't get to see a lot of everybody because they're all in their spacesuits and sitting down, but I like Captain Malick. He has kind of a Ulysses 31 feel to him, which is one of the greatest eighties cartoons of all time. Uh, yeah. You, you've spoken about this before. And I, I remember watching the, uh, the introduction to it and I'm like, hmm, right. maybe I should, uh, maybe I should watch this one day. <laughs> I made Adam listen to the Ulysses 31 theme song. <laughs> yeah. And the the space god, it you know, it seems very Kirby-like to me. Yes, it and does. Space, yeah, you it know, does. Giant space gods in general are very Kirby. Oh, absolutely. It's kind of like, you know, Eternity and, uh, and what was it like, what were the ones in Marvel? Like Kronos is one. Um, and they're all just massive space gods. It's just, yeah. I love the, there's clearly some inspiration there. So all in all, this was an, an excellent inaugural issue. I'm looking forward to the rest of the series. And I would give this my highest possible recommendation added to your poll. I'd rate this one five out of five slabs of God meat. <laughs> Just the grossest rating system <laughs> we've ever had on this podcast. But I love it. So <laughs> so we're going to keep it five out of five slabs of God meat. And, and just kind of echo your, your comments there, like, like, you know, we're going to talk about Empire later on in the episode and Al is clearly setting up something that we're just all going to look forward to. I mean, the world building, universe building has been absolutely excellent. And it's just everything that's kind of been achieved in one issue. You know, you, you've kind of got that intrigue. You've kind of got that basic kind of character down and uh, you, you you get a broad understanding as to what's going on. Um, I'm really looking forward to issue two, which is out on the 7th of October, if you want to catch that one. Sweet. It's already September. <laughs> it is already September. Uh, Where did this year go? I, th- I think you know COVID and all that. It's just it's just been nuts. Oh God! It is September. The next issue comes out in October. Um, it, it's yeah, and, and that's not even that long away. Let's be let's be honest. It's it's about a month away. So, well, with the way time's been going recently, it's like tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just been but, like uh, one big long day since everything shut down. Yeah, it's been it's been nuts. It's it feels yeah, it feels so much so much shorter than it actually has been. It's been six months since like lockdown began, so it's, it's nuts. But yeah, let's talk about some Empire. Yes, let's get on to Empire. Okay, Fantastic Four number twenty three, War Games. The writers Dan Slott, artist Paco Medina, color by Jesus Arbatov, lettering by Joe Caramagna. Cover by Nick Bradshaw and John Rock, and a variant cover by Alex Ross. Picking up from the last issue, the kids, Spidey and Wolverine, are searching for Joe Venn, who's been kidnapped by the Katati. The trail leads them to an old Alchemax facility where Valeria realizes that they're after an Omniwave projector. 
With the aid of the Omniwave projector, the priests intend to psychically project all the memories of hate between the Kree and the Skrulls and break the Alliance. Luckily, the team arrives in time to stop them and save the day with the power of love. Oh. Uh, cue the Huey Lewis soundtrack. <laughs> oh, that's a dated reference and a half. <laughs> and it was me that was originally going to say that. So <laughs> <laughs> I stole it. <laughs> Love saves the day. Yeah, this, I, this, this was great. Great issue. I, I like that the Katati didn't anticipate that the kids would actually love each other. So that backfired <laughs> spectacularly. It was just the bit when, like, Nakala was like, uh, you know, I don't know what I'd be without you. And it's like, oh, that's so cute. They're going to be brother and sister now. Oh, but but then there's Joe Venn. When, when Spidey's like, yeah, you know, you save the day with love. But I'm Cree. I used it as a weapon. So, ah. <laughs> I killed them with kindness. <laughs> oh, that was the that was the best bit. I can just I can just imagine like just a really grumpy toddler jumping oh. out of that that whatever it was like amber fluids thing. Yeah, uh, and just like no, I did not do that. You will not tell me what I did. It just oh. oh, they are gonna have their hands full with these kids. Absolutely, yes, yeah, they they really are. Uh, I, I, I cannot wait. It, it's going to be so good. I can't wait for the next few issues of uh, Fantastic Four because they are going to be really fun um, with Nicola and uh, and uh, uh, Joe Venn. I, I I think this is Dan Slott's best arc in Fantastic Four so far. Which is, I mean, that which is a is high praise. I mean, I thought that the the first arc that he did was really good, um, but no, this one is just kind of it, it, it's blown that one out of the water for me. And like you said, it's it's been his best yeah. arc easily. I also like some of the references um, back to Spidey uh, in his previous <laughs> couple of runs. You know, when he was like, hey, I used to I used to own this place. I own the Baxter building too, but it's all gone. <laughs> it's like... Oh, Peter. Oh, it's brilliant. Brilliant. And of course, he was a big, you know, he was the kind of longest serving writer on Spider-Man as well. So obviously he was going to get that in there. Um <laughs> And uh, if even if you haven't what, uh, read any of Dan Slott's Spider-Man, just to kind of creep it in there, I uh, definitely recommend uh, Superior Spider-Man. It's definitely a really good run. Oh. I also like that we went full circle on the land of Disney. <laughs> so the kids have gotten their reward for stopping the war. <laughs> and I love the fact that it's like Wolverine's like, yeah, you can you can have whatever you want, kids. <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's on me. Uh, he's probably going to, you know, get a couple of... Uh, a couple of uh, portals or teleporter for them, you know, take them to Disneyland. That's brilliant. I, I love, I love how Dan Slott writes Wolverine as well. It just makes him like, even though he is, you know, the best at what he does, but what he does isn't very nice. Yep. He just writes him like as such a wholesome kind of character. Um, but he's always yeah. had a soft spot for kids. Yeah, he has, and he is kind of like that, you know, that mutant. Yeah, he's a father Super to. Dad. Yeah, super dad sort of thing. And uh, I love that. And I, I kind of want Dan Slot to write some X-Men stuff now. Oh, so let's talk about the art, because these this is also a beautiful issue. In particular, there's a sp the splash page where they're actually projecting the hate out with the kids in the amber and all the history and the background. I love how that was done. Um 
you know, with the kind of the split Cree, uh, Cree, 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 Cree skull faces, and then you have the line of faces <laughs> next to them, and you know, like you said, you've got all the history behind that, and it's just it's so nicely done that you you just really understand what's going on and what what's actually happening. Um, it's 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 a really good use of artwork to get the information across, and brilliant job on that one. Yeah, this one does have a quite a bit of overlap with Empire Number Six, but I think that they stood well on their own as separate stories, which is important when you might be reading Fantastic Four, but not Empire, or reading Empire and not Fantastic Four. Yeah, because if you're going to pick this up in trade and you're not particularly interested in Empire, like we said before, this is this is probably the best arc since the the first one, if not better than the first one, and. Uh... Yeah, it gives you a real idea of what's going on and you don't have to read Empire to understand this and you also don't have to pick up Empire specifically to understand the resolution of it because it kind of it it's all in parallel. All in all, this was an excellent event tie-in that still manages to stand on its own outside the main event. And please let Ben and Alicia just adopt the kids already. <laughs> Which I, we're probably going to see in Empire Fallout, Fantastic Four number one. Yeah, if if not, it's definitely going to be the next issue of, uh, of Fantastic Four because uh, I, I believe the cover kind of has um, everybody on it, including Joe Van and Nicola. So when is uh, Empire Fallout Fantastic Four issue one out? That comes out on Wednesday, September 9th. So uh, we shall be reviewing that one next episode. Okay, and this one we gave a four out of five lockjaws. Yeah, it was it was very good. Um, really looking forward to Fantastic Four and when it goes from here. Uh, um, Dan Slott, he's he's he does write a really good Fantastic Four, I think, and uh, it's one that I've kind of let slide a little bit. I haven't kept quite as up to date as I wanted to, so maybe it's about time I go back and uh, and read all the back issues now. And finally, Empire Issue 6. The story by Al Ewing and Dan Slott. Script by Al Ewing. Artist is Valerio Shiti. Colour is Marte Gracia. Lettering is Joe Caramagna. Cover is Jim Chung and J. David Ramos. Graphic designer is Carlos Lau. Assistant editor is Martin Byro. Associate editor is Alana Smith. And editor is Tom Brevoort. So clearly Tom has been through this to get all the deep cuts. Um... <laughs> But like I said, we are finally at the end of Empire. It's the final issue. Um, it's been a fantastic sort of eight or ten weeks or so, give or take a few weeks of comics. And it's really been getting us back into the swing of things since comics started coming back after the COVID shutdowns. Um, I've certainly way back into comics now, way more than I was sort of uh, 15 weeks ago or so. But how did the book finish? Well... This book kind of covers the final push in the Empire storyline, the epic finale. Did Panther survive? Of course he did. Did Reed wear his awesome Iron Man suit? Of course he did. Do Iron Man and Reed also have an eight minute uh, have eight minutes minus the time taken to form a sentence? Yes. <laughs> Multiple sentences. It would be nice if the guys could talk and work at the same time. Hey, come on! You're talking to two guys there. <laughs> We can't multitask. Like, come on, go! <laughs> I speak for the entirety of the uh, the male male <laughs> human kind. We cannot multitask. 
but uh, but Reed and Iron Man, uh, Reed and Tony are not the only ones trying to stop the sun exploding, or at least not st- stop the sun killing everybody. Uh, Captain Marvel, Teddy, Wiccan, and Johnny Storm, and uh, and in the end, a bunch of other heroes as well are also there to try and absorb the energy of the exploding sun. Of course, that's not the only thing going on. Uh, the kids from the Fantastic Four series, Joven and Nakala, are being used to project the hate across the galaxy, uh, which we saw in Fantastic Four. Um, but rather than the hatred, as we as we discussed, the Fantastic Four managed to convince them that it's what they share that truly matters, and they care for each other. It was very, it was very, Aww. very nice. It's very cute. Uh, with Reed finally be able to disable Koi with the cool ass Iron Man suit, the war with the Katati is finally over. Both the swordsman and Arkil aren't happy, uh, but in the end they get their just desserts as well from Black Panther and Teddy respectively. After which, Teddy remains Emperor, the Scree Alliance holds, and the new era for Cosmic Marvel begins. Yay. That was that was a good story. It, it was a nice finale. Um, yeah, fantastic finale to the book. Uh, Al Ewing has managed to sew together just like a, a really great sort of tapestry almost that lays the groundwork for the rest of cosmic marvel for however long it's going to be the status quo shift for the the kree and the scrolls is here to stay and to me that's the most exciting bit it's nice because this time they didn't put the toys back on the shelf as marvels want to do so this is going to have lasting ramifications going forward you you just can't call yourself the king of space and expect everybody to be cool with that space is a lot bigger than just the scree alliance yeah, I mean, there's some people are not going to be happy. But we, we, we kind of figured in this issue that Black Panther would almost definitely survive, considering he's on the cover. Um, and I mean, that one was kind of a little bit bittersweet, considering the events of the previous weeks, obviously with Chadman, Chad, uh, Chadwick Boseman uh, passing away, unfortunately. Um, but the whole coming together with Nakala and Joven was super sweet, and they're going to be in a great addition to the Fantastic Four when they finally get adopted. I love those kids. Uh, you love, love them, them as much as Ben. You love them as I much do. as Ben does. That's a, <laughs> that's a lot, considering. <laughs> I, I, I just, I can't wait. I'm really, really excited by this. It's just, it's it's such a big change and such a big switch around. Um, this has been going on since the beginning of Marvel Comics. Yeah. Yeah, the Creed scroll War has been a permanent fixture. Constant. And, you know, Al Ewing has not only managed to bring Cosmic Marvel back to the forefront of Marvel Comics, uh, which was, you know, probably my favorite bit, but it's all, also all the cool stuff that you get to explore after this. You know, like you said, all the people that aren't going to be happy with the Kree Skrull Alliance and uh, and all the races that are going to be affected by it. It's, it's going to be, it's, it's literally changing the, one of the fundamental parts of Marvel, Marvel Comics. And they got some cool uniforms out of it. <laughs> yeah they did that, that again the character design in this was also really good i don't know about you but this has to be one of my favorite books of recent times right i mean al ewing has done such a great job he has been able to turn his hand at probably all the characters in this book um and he's done it in such a way that it just you know breath of fresh air for some of them iron man particularly he's kind of gone he's still doing that kind of redemption and then the cycle of him falling being broken down and then building himself back up again i would like to see him write iron man more put al on iron man put al on everything It'd be great 
I think it, I think one of my favorite things about Al is just the way he tells the story. He just uses the kind of the best amount of writing, and that sounds like such a, such a <laughs> silly thing to say, but it's like he gets all of the information onto a page. It's not overly long, and he does enough with the page and the words and the art that you get completely what's going on. And uh, I, f- I f- feel that that's probably the greatest thing about Empire. You know, besides maybe getting the initial Fantastic Four and Avengers stories, you've been able to see the direction really easily, and it's been incredibly easy to follow without having to pick up tons of tie-in books and uh, and decades worth of back issues. Yes, yeah, and that's the other that's the other big thing we've we've kind of said it uh, previously on the podcast. Al has a way of kind of deep diving into lots of classic stories, you know, particularly like the Celestial Messiah backstory with, you know, Celestial Madonna uh, and the earlier Avengers issues with the Swordsman. There's enough information there to pick it up without having to reread those decades of comics. I think uh, kind of final word on the, on the writing really is that Al Ewing has developed a hell of a lot as a writer, just in kind of the comics medium. Obviously, my kind of first experience with him was Royals, um, and Royals was an amazing story in itself, but Empire just shows his development and how he knows the comics medium. And uh, I, I feel like, yeah, he's, he's, it takes a lot of skill to be able to do like such a huge story in six issues. And absolutely the right person to be in charge of Cosmic Marvel. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of a shame he couldn't have been in charge of Cosmic Marvel since uh, the end of Royals, really. So let's let's talk about the art, shall we? Um, the art all the way through this book, and I, I feel like I'm kind of almost reviewing the book as a whole, you know, Empire 1 to 6, but Valerio Shiti is a fantastic artist, and this has had a huge impact on my love for the for the stories. I'm probably now going to go back and, and kind of pick up some books purely because he was on the art. It's just really good. Yeah, a sample of his books that you can find on Marvel Unlimited are Journey into Mystery with Lady Sif and Beta Ray Bill, that I just love, and Bendis's run on Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I believe he he did the art on the um kind of the second one where Kitty Pride and I think the Thing was even on the team at that point yeah. at some point. Yeah, he was. So, and I think if if I had to have a single gripe about this book, about the art on it, is is literally the the bit where Reed and Iron Man are in the same room. Um, they do look very similar, kind of facial features wise. Um, but I feel this is probably mostly because Reed is in the Iron Man suit, and you can't see his most recognizable hair. Ah, uh, come on, Adam! They're they're global disaster facial hair bros. <laughs> that, yeah. And at least they make he he makes Reed super tall in comparison to Tony. It makes him, you know, super imposing, like Reed should be. Um, but I think, I think that kind of, when you think about it, that kind of adds to the, to the where Tony is in this because he's kind of like trying to get that redemption again. He's sort of he he messed up massively at the start of the series, and uh, Reed is the he's one that's kind of helping him small. fix it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I feel like that's a really good use of art in this one. So he's done a really stellar job at this he doesn't do stereotypes and is hugely respectful when drawing um with such a range of characters i believe this is the first big event he's drawn for and it certainly seems like he's had a blast doing it so i can't wait for the the fallout of this book we have immortal she hulk which is coming out on september 23rd i believe yep and uh you know you had she hulk coming through the green door 
which kind of tied into the Immortal Hulk series, which was super interesting that the Katati were going to try and make use of the green door uh, in which yeah. Jen walked back through. Um, that was good fun. <laughs> yeah, the Katati opened the door. Oh, oh, I, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> uh Oh, <laughs> close the door quickly, please. Uh, yeah, and obviously Jen ma- managed to make it back through. Um, and if you want to get some more backstory on the Green Door and the, all of the Immortal Hulk stuff, definitely go and pick up Immortal Hulk by uh, by Al Ewing. I really like how he's kind of woven that into this book. Uh, I believe it's getting a hardcover as well, actually, Immortal Hulk. He's either got one or oh, he's getting one. Um, it's going to have to. Yeah, yeah. It is so good and genuinely scary. Yes, yeah. There's a, There's a lot of kind of taking it back to its roots almost and um you know it's it's hulk is based upon kind of jekyll and hyde and uh you know it kind of takes it back to that kind of story really but uh and like i've said before the space politics from this is going to be incredibly fun uh a united oh, okay. Skr- Skrull and kree force it's hard to say isn't it it's hard to say <laughs> it, it is it is absolutely difficult to say, but I mean, there has been a few series where we've actually seen what happens if the Skrull and the Krees join forces. You know, if you want to read about these versions of the Alliance, you can go and read it in New Avengers by Jonathan Hickman. Um, there's a What If, where Vision conquered the world, uh, where there's actually two different universes where you kind of see the, the Skrull and the Krees join forces. And uh, there's also in the 30 Years in the Future uh, story by I, uh, by Kieran Gillen, written in Iron Man, uh, which is also really good. Now, I, I love the space politics. This is cosmic marvel as a well-written Game of Thrones. Yeah, and that's a that's a good um, that's a good point as well because wasn't Matt Fraction going to do something with Inhumans that was like a, a Game of a, Thrones esque story? Yes, and. Uh, I'm so sad that that was scrapped. Yeah, and obviously that's where Charles Soule came in and, and took over on uh, Uncanny. Uh, not Uncanny, it was Inhuman. Yeah, but the bad guys lived to fight another day. We kept the bad guys alive this time. Yep, they did, yeah. Raquel and Koi are both still alive. And Koi did uh, not get a redemption arc. Uh, no. <laughs> he... He, he is a full-on bad guy now. Yep, thanks to the swordsman. Who was not really the swordsman. No, he was. I mean, he's the, you know, the eldest Katati and that kind of stuff. And as Black Panther pointed out to him right before he killed him. (laughs) Yeah. Which again, was one of the greatest bits about this book. Um, I I did love the fact that it was, you know, Black Panther to do that. I mean, yeah, I, there's so many good things about this book. There's so many things to look forward to now as well. I think how it's going to tie in with other books. I'm really intrigued by particularly when you sort of look at the way X-Men is going and the fact that we haven't seen the Shi'ar since the X-Men kind of got rebooted, you know, soft reboot. Um, what are they going to say? What do you reckon? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. They're, uh, if you've been reading New Mutants, we have visited the Shi'ar. Yes, true. Yep. They've got a new little empress. We yes. even had Deathbird come back in a, a rather hysterical storyline. And, and the Empress is uh, Charles Xavier's and uh, Lilandra's daughter, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And which, again, is another interesting story. If you want to go read that, that was she was introduced in uh, in the Rogan, Rogan Gambit mini by uh, Kelly Thompson, um, which was really good. 
So, but yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to make a hell of a difference. I think I'm, I'm kind of hoping that Marvel will truly roll with it and not just think, oh yeah, this is just a little thing that's happening in Cosmic Marvel. I, I really want it to be a part of everything else going forward because um, it just makes for some intriguing stories. And it's fresh now. Yeah. It, We're it not is... revisiting the same fights over and over again. And, you know, you could argue that that's kind of where Marvel have been over the last kind of five years or so. It's very much been hero on hero fights um and it's nice to break that mold it really is nice to break that mold and i i can't wait to see what comes next but overall super fun book very much what i needed to drop me back into the comics after the covid drought i'm incredibly happy that it's been this good and if you haven't recommend if you haven't read it yet i hugely recommend it as a future trade pickup um i believe it's due out in november 2020 and it's absolutely worth the price so i would i would say this has got a five out of five lock jaws because it was just that good absolutely so lynn question to you what did you think about all today's comic books i thought we were spoiled this was a great week you know got two empire titles out of it we only find them when they're dead made up for that absolutely I'm so um, excited for that series. So am I. I'm I'm glad we kind of picked that one up and we we reviewed it for the show. It was a really nice break from everything else. Um, I know it's not Marvel, but, uh, you know, we don't read just Marvel. And, you know, like we we say every every episode, if you've got any recommendations in terms of um, books to read or, you know, books you want us to review, that kind of stuff, we'll absolutely go through it and and give them a read. But similar to you, yeah absolutely spoiled this week so what's coming next i'd recommend you get caught up on al ewing's guardians of the galaxy it gives you a hint as to what's to come if you read issue number six and watch for issue seven that's out in on october 21st we've got a long wait for that one where marble boy attends a diplomatic conference as a result of the fallout of empire and just bear in mind that obviously Marvel Boy is in Guardians of the Galaxy, written by Al Ewing. And uh, the last big story he was involved with was uh, Royals by Al Ewing. <laughs> so maybe get caught up on Royals as well. Uh, and and the, the Guardian story is great too, especially if you're a Moondragon fan. There's a lot of Moondragon and a lot of Nova in this. Yeah, so it's it is really of, fun. It kind and of Rocket wears back. a suit. It kind of harks back to the whole um, Dan Abner, Andy Lanning uh, mm-hmm. run. It's kind of got similar characters, and yeah, it's it's been very good so far. After that, we've got Empire Aftermath Avengers number one out on September 9th. Also out on September 9th is Empire Fallout Fantastic Four. That one I'm very excited for. Yeah, um, we kind of hopefully we get to see a little bit of what happens with uh, Nicola and Joven. They're on the cover. Yeah. With most most likely their new parents. <laughs> oh, it's Aww. gonna be so good! It's gonna be so good. We oh. we we've potentially massively overhyped this, but it's gonna be so good. <laughs> <laughs> and the profiteer is back if going by the cover. And then let's see, September twenty third, we've got Immortal She Hulk number one. The Green Door. What happened when she went through the Green Door? Who knows? Maybe we'll find out. I hope so. I hope so. It, it looks to be, and again, that one's written by uh, by Al Ewing, I believe. So 
that's going to be a good good issue. And then on September 30th, we've got Fantastic Four 24. It's going to tell the story of that one replacement Fantastic Four member we don't talk about. <laughs> the secret <laughs> since issue two of this run. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. Poor Iceman. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that one. That's, that's a story. 22 issues in the making. Uh, looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's it for comics this episode. Um, like I said before, if you have any suggestions, reading recommendations, or you just want to get in touch and, and give your two cents, please do get in touch on Twitter. Our handle is at AtalanRising1 and our email address is theshow at AtalanRising.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and see you next episode.